It's an indescribable privilege to read and to reflect and to receive grace and truth from God's holy and inspired word. And uh, for this morning's meditation, I'd like to encourage each of you to turn with me to Romans, the first chapter, Romans chapter 1, and we'll read uh, some verses there beginning at verse 9. Romans, the first chapter, beginning at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, also even as among other Gentiles." I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed." From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'd like to conclude here at verse 17. The book of Romans is probably one of the most significant theology books that we have in the New Testament, as it establishes and solidifies the theology of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be justified by God's grace, really a, 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 a great, not only an overview, both in the um, breadth and depth of what it means, what the gospel message means. This introduction, the first several verses, is an introduction by Paul. He's the author of this as he's writing to the believers that are in Rome. And Rome is not a new church. We realize, or we can read at the end of the chapter, in chapter 15, at the end of the book, in chapter 15, verse 23, that he had purposed to come to the church in Rome for many years. And he was not, he was hindered, he was not able to for various reasons and various circumstances. And we begin here in verse 9 as he's something that he's been praying for on a regular basis, earnestly with a strong desire to come and visit with them. We see in verse 11 is the purpose of why he wanted to go visit with them. He says that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. His desire was to go and impart the spiritual gifts that God had given to him to minister to them so that they may be able to grow and be nourished in their faith. We don't know who planted the church in Rome, whether we don't have any record that any of the apostles had traveled there ahead of time. And so 
His desire was to go there to help them grow and mature. Now, his visit was not expected to be short. It's not like we can just fly here, go to uh, across the country and visit someplace for a weekend and come back. Of course, at that time, travel was much more difficult. It would take many months and it would be a dangerous journey, as we can read in the Acts, as he was on his way to Rome. His life uh, was uh, in the balance multiple times. And when he finally reached Rome, we read in the Acts that he ministered there for several years. He was committed to the believers that were there. As I think of the, um, not just the Apostle Paul, but the other early believers as they traveled to and fro and, and, and visited one with another as they made their abode for times, sometimes months, sometimes years in each of those locations. What I find is interesting is this Spirit or this uh, theme is repeated that their desire was to build up the church. It wasn't, they weren't traveling there to find some better place, find a place where they were more comfortable in the settings that were there, or that they were, in a sense, what we see across Western Christendom, shopping for the best place to worship. Instead, they were looking for a place that they could use the God-given gifts that they had been given to minister in the place where they were needed, where it was necessary to establish and to grow other believers. See, it's not a model where you have a a few, we'll call them senior apostles that were, that were, um, Entrusted with this responsibility, we see the Apostle Paul saying this as he said, that is that I may, verse 12, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. It's not the model of uh, the way the body of Christ is ought to work. Is not that there's just a few that are ministering and imparting their spiritual gifts, but it's the many to many. That was God's original design and why he has given liberally, as the scripture says, his spiritual gifts among all believers. So that the effectual working of it together, as it described in Ephesians 4, is to work together to build the body of Christ and to be a witness to the world of the good news, the gospel message. Imagine if that were the attitude of every believer across the world. If it were the attitude of rather than shopping to find the best place, rather to commit to the place where they are. And to rather than sit on the sidelines in the place that they are, to be fully engaged. To use the spiritual gifts that have been given to every single believer. Imagine the transformation that would take place away from a consumer mindset of, of trying to um, optimize the best location, the best environment, the best um, place where I feel most comfortable in to a place where we can minister most effectively. There would be a transformation that would take place across the land, across the churches, 
And rather than seeing the revolving door that so that 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 has now trans, that has now occurred over the last several decades, we would see a much more vibrant church that is well grounded across all of the spiritual disciplines that God has imparted to the each believer. And we see in verse 14 that, verse 13, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He recognizes that, that the um, goal of the gospel message is not just to um, transform, but it's also about fruit, encouraging the fruit among all believers. And he says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. In other words, he's a debtor to, he feels a, 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 an obligation, a passion to reach the world. He's using multiple categories here, but you could summar, summarize it by saying he has a debt. He's obligated to share this good news of the gospel to everyone that comes across, that he comes across in his life. And we see that is a theme that is common in his entire life as he ministers. And then verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why do you suppose he'd write, I'm not ashamed of it? It's probably hard for us to really understand the, the context in which he's writing. Many times he was writing these epistles while he was in prison. It was not it was not appreciated. Society did not appreciate Christians. It was shameful to be a Christian. The Romans, they had their own gods, and those in leadership would um, extol the virtues of the Roman religion or whatever religion they were, uh, where, where they traveled through the Acts of the Apostles, we see, and they were met with hostility because it was a threat to the way of life and the belief system that existed at the time. And so to be named a Christian or a follower of the way was something that society considered shameful. But here the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God unto salvation. What is he talking about when he says the gospel of Christ? If somebody would ask you, what is the gospel? How would you describe that to them? We know the word essentially means good news. The literal translation of that is good news. What is it a good news about? Simply summarize, it's God's rescue plan for humanity. We need to understand what a rescue plan is or what rescue, when rescue is necessary. Some years ago, there, uh, in fact, I think it was exactly 10 years ago, there was a mining disaster in Chile. And they made a, uh, 
a, a movie about that, a video about that, that describes the difficulty that they had in this mining accident as they were more than about 2,000 feet underground and the main mine shaft collapsed, sealing them off from the out, outside world. And there were 33 of them stuck down in the mine shaft. All hope was lost. By a miracle, their safety systems were completely rusted out, and so they had very little hope of being rescued. And then there came hope where they established contact and were able to get a message down there that rescuers were working around the clock so that they could get them out. And it took them two months. Two months before they could rescue them. Imagine if you were stuck down in that mine. It's 30 degrees Celsius down there, entirely dark. They were able to pass some water and food down there on occasion. But imagine as you hear the earth rumble and shake and you wonder, is this the time where the end has come? Or will the rescuers actually be able to get through? And when they finally got through, every single one of them miraculously was rescued and was able to be returned to their family in good health. And it was heralded as a miracle, as it rightly should have been. And in a sense, that is the gospel message. It's God's rescue plan for us as humanity, as we find ourselves alienated from him, as we find ourselves in sin, in rebellion in a sense, and then we suddenly realize we're in a tough spot. For those that don't recognize that you're in a tough spot, it's hard to really see the value of the gospel message. If life is going well for you, if you think that everything is just working working well and the rest of your life will just unroll in the same way, there will come a time where you will recognize your need. And I pray that it doesn't take a difficult circumstance for that to come upon you. Instead, if you are struggling with your real, seeing your real need of being rescued, is to ask God to show you, show you why you need to be rescued. And you will find in the word where it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that as a result of our sin, God being just must, and him being holy, cannot be in the presence of our sin. And unless something changes, we will be forever alienated from him, in a sense, stuck down in that deep mine without any hope of light and life eternal. God recognized that. So he became man in the great miracle of the incarnate work of Jesus Christ as he came and came to us because we could not come to him. He demonstrated his character through the life of Jesus Christ. So there was no doubt of God's love for mankind. Prior to that, if you can see the, the, um, throughout various phases or ages in the Old Testament, how, how people had a wrong view of God. And so when Jesus came, he righted all of those misperceptions. And some were overjoyed and exuberant to receive that message. Others were stubborn and obstinate and rejected God's love. 
And then we, sometimes we say that God paid for our sin by dying for us. But in a sense, he died instead of us. It was a substitution. He took our place because we deserve to die for our sin. But he didn't just die. He rose again and conquered death in the grave to usher in a new era of life eternal. Demonstrated that it was not just a theory, but that God has a plan that far exceeds the here and now. That is the gospel message. He says, so, so he says, for I'm not ashamed of that message, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That word power is the Greek word dynamo. It's what dynamite is named after. See, dynamite was something that was invented in the 1800s, became revolutionary in the mid-1800s, as now you had something that was innocuous as a little cylinder like this that could transform the landscape where it was deployed. And it was one of the main tools used by those that were building the cross-continental railroad, especially across the Rockies. They had a monumental task to take a train that weighed hundreds of tons to move it from the west coast across the Rockies over thousands of feet of elevation to be able to make that across. The Rockies were inhospitable to even the... the you had to be a, a, a tremendous... Um, uh, when, if you traveled there by foot or by cart, by horse... It was a dangerous journey. And so they used dynamite to transform the landscape, to make way for this railroad to be able to pass across that mountain range. In a sense, it reminds me of the, the um, John the Baptist, who was called to make a way for the Lord, to make the rough paths, the crooked paths straight, in a sense to prepare, to transform the landscape, to prepare the way when Christ came. This dynamo, this power that is talking about in verse 16 has the same effect in our lives. The gospel message has that raw power to change me to change you. That power will transform our lives, making a way, getting rid of those um, barriers that prevent us to live in the way that God intended us to live in full fellowship with him and to be ambassadors, to be a um, re- reflection of that raw power to the world around us. See, the primary purpose of the gospel is not just to change our behavior, but it's to change our heart, the very nature, the very essence of our inner being. 
And it's not just about overcoming our own natural selfishness as we've all come face to face with it. And it's so much easier to see the the natural selfishness or pride in others. But every one of us have it to varying degrees. And the power of the gospel is there to change us from the inside out. But it's not just our own uh, nature that we have to fight against. But we also have our arch enemy, Satan himself, that capitalizes on the on this nature and the power of the gospel gives us the ability to overcome not just our own innate shortcomings but also even the very power of the enemy see Christianity is a very unique religion. Most other religions, at least the ones that I'm familiar with, will say, obey, then you are accepted. But the gospel message says, we are accepted, and as a result, we obey. It's the other way around. And we see in the the Apostle John, as he wrote the first epistle, uh, his first epistle in 1 John, for the 19th chapter, uh, 19th verse, we say, he, he writes, We love him, that is God, because he first loved us. He was the one that initiated the rescue plan. It wasn't because we suddenly realized we're in trouble and now we have to do something and, and got the wheels turning. No, he recognized long before we were even aware that we were in need of this power of the gospel. He initiated and it says in Ephesians 1 that he predestinated. In other words, he prepared everything. He prepared everything necessary for that rescue ahead of time before we even realized that it was necessary. And when we realize it, it's there for us. As he extends his grace and the power to accept it. And it says, It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. That's the prerequisite, belief. Everyone that believeth will receive the power unto salvation. That is a promise that serves as the bedrock of the gospel message. It's not just a mental acceptance that needs to take place to say, yeah, gospel is a good idea. I could see why it's necessary. Yeah, it's just among one of among many other things that are good that we should be doing. Unless it's preeminent in our life, it will not have the power. Preeminent meaning it's got to be above all. Above all other things. It's not just another thing that we can add in our life along with our good diet, along with good exercise, along with good sleep, along with other good health techniques. Those are all fine and dandy and we need to, uh, being, being physical beings, we need to be aware of those things. But the gospel message must be preeminent above all of those things, in order to have the power of God unto salvation. Of course, the power 
In order to receive the power, the scripture says that we need to repent. We need to turn around from the direction that we're going. And we understand very easily, repent from sin, yes, from the wrong that we've done, and we need to ask for forgiveness. Those are very important concepts of the gospel. But we also, we don't just need to repent from our sinfulness, but we also need to repent from our righteousness. From our righteousness. We read in, in, in Luke, the 18th chapter, where Jesus gives a parable of the publican and the Pharisee as they come up to pray. And the Pharisee is all about his righteousness. And he could not receive the power of the gospel. He could not receive the power of salvation because of his righteousness. It stood in the way. In the same way, our righteousness will also stand in the way of God being able to work his power in our life. So my friend, if you have not received the pow- this power unto salvation, there's usually two reasons why. Either some will feel I am no good for that, I have sinned too greatly, it's too late for me to turn around, and that is a lie of the enemy. Because it is never too late. While there is health and breath, that promise stands and is waiting for you to believe and to accept. But then there's the other extreme that says, I'm a good person. In fact, I'm even better than those Christians over there. And it's that righteousness that will prevent the power of God working your life in the same way. It's the same problem, just a different expression of it. But this doesn't just limit our own, uh, for those who are not yet believers, but even as a believer, our own righteousness can become a blocker for God to work his power through us. And we can see the evidence of that at times when we are in relational difficulty, if we're striving, if we're, um, can't live at peace, with one another or with people around us, if we're not following the scripture of forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave us, as a command. This is not an option. This is a command. And it's because of our own righteousness or our own rightness. We believe we are right and we are better than, than the other party. We are, we are, um, in a sense, exalting ourselves and that righteousness we have to repent from because the only righteousness that is truly righteous is God's righteousness that we put on this cloak of righteousness, this this garment of righteousness that we put on. And so this power of God unto salvation. The gospel message says then in verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written, the just shall live by faith. From faith to faith, another way to say it, from start to finish. The power of God unto salvation, there's a start, but it continues on from faith to faith. There's a building experience, even as he said earlier in the verses we read together about how he wants to impart that spiritual gift so they may be established. Another way is for them to grow, that they could grow stronger in the Lord. That is the journey from faith to faith, from one experience to the next, as we are to mature in 
as mature as a believer. And then he says, the just shall live by faith. Now he's quoting the prophet Habakkuk. We can read that in chapter 2, verse 4. Let me read this. Behold, this is now God speaking through the prophet Habakkuk. He says, behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So God is contrasting two extremes. He's saying the soul which is lifted up, in other words, someone who is self-sufficient, someone who is prideful, he's saying it's not upright. In other words, it's not straight, it's crooked. The person who looks inward for his salvation, for his, uh, the, 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 how to live life will not get it right because it's not found inward, it's found upward. The just shall live by faith. By faith in who? By faith in God, who provides this power unto salvation that allows us to live from faith to faith to be victorious and to carry out the mission he has given to each one that becomes a part of his family. So the gospel has the power to change me. It has the power to change you. But it also has the power to change others. And we got a glimpse of that as we read of that in verse 15, where the Apostle Paul had this desire, this this insatiable, felt this debt, this passion to preach the gospel to others, to see the work that it would be that it would do in others. In fact, that is the primary job of the church. The primary job of each of us as believers is to carry this message to others and make disciples. It's not the exclusive job of the ministers or the elders or the Bible class teachers or the Sunday school teachers or you fill in the blank, it is the job of every single believer. It's possible to lead people astray by preaching or teaching heresy. That is not a surprise. Heresy meaning false truths, misinterpreting the scripture, and there's many cults around the world that have done that and continue to do that. But it's also Possible to lead people astray by giving good things too prominent a place. It's easy as a church to get involved in all kinds of wonderful ministries, but if it isn't because of the primary mission to make disciples, it can actually detract from the very purpose that God has given and instructed to each one of us personally and collectively as a body of believers. There are many churches around this community, around the world, in fact, that are doing wonderful things, feeding the poor, helping out those who are in need, having great programs and great uh, ministries 
a wonderful youth group, and, 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 and on and on it goes. And those are great things. But if they are taking the place of the gospel message, in other words, if they, if each of those things are held to such a place that we don't have time to enter into relationships with others that have not heard the gospel or are not yet believers, it means we've inverted the priorities. Yes, of course, many of those ministries are actually gateways into ways to minister the gospel message. But if it takes on a life of its own, we are then guilty of giving good things too prominent a place. There's a simple test that we can use. It's not an exhaustive test, of course, to indicate how prominent a place do we have this How effective have we been in ministering this power of the gospel unto salvation to others? And so we ask ourselves these three questions. If God would answer all of our prayers that we prayed this week, how many new disciples would exist? If God answered all of our prayers this week, how many new disciples would would exist. It's easy to pray about specific physical needs or perhaps pray for our individual families, but what about the people that God has brought across in our lives? Have we prayed about them? Have we asked God to open up an opportunity to share the the gospel message, the power of God unto salvation with them? That's question number one. Question number two. Most of you have a smartphone in your pocket or in your purse. And so if I asked everyone to pause now for a moment and pull out your smartphone and ask you to text someone who is not a believer to have coffee with them or tea with them this week, how many of us could do that? You see, it's not, it would be pretty odd if we don't really have a relationship with somebody to text them, say, hey, let's have coffee. They'd be like, who is this person? You need to have a certain relationship with people in order to be able to have to make such a request. And so if we were given that task today, how many of us would be able to do that, to arrange something for this coming week, to be able to meet with someone to talk about life, the big picture of things in life? That's question number two. How about question number three? We often, from this pulpit, myself included, have been exhorted to read the Scripture regularly, daily, But how many of us in the last year have taken the opportunity to share the scripture or read it with someone else that is not yet a believer? Those are the three questions, and it's not exhaustive. But if we answer those questions ourselves, if God would answer our prayer in the last week, how many many new disciples would there be? How... How many people would we be able to arrange a time, a visiting time, in the upcoming week that have not yet accepted the gospel? And how many in the last year have we ever read the scripture or shared the scripture with someone? And if the answer comes up as a blank, 
then it's probably an indication we are not taking these verses to heart. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The single most effective way to share this is through relationships. This past year at camp, we, there was a forum, and I just listened to it this week. I don't, I'm not able to attend all forums at camp, but thankfully they're recorded. And so over the course of the year, I will listen to them. And this past week, I was listening to one about our fellowship being how to make our fellowship a welcoming place. And there were two testimonies that were shared about those who came, had no background in Christianity, had no background in any of our fellowships, and they shared what, how God used our fellowship to minister this power unto salvation. The common theme was relationship. They felt welcomed. They felt ministered to when they had questions or concerns. They, they felt the love of the body of believers. And it's probably why Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, by the love ye have one for another. But it's not just about being able to have someone over to demonstrate our cooking ability or to have some gourmet meal or to demonstrate just a nice time to visit. But it's a time of fellowship, a time of talking about the bigger picture of how that power of God is working in our lives or how it is to work in each of our lives. That, as the scripture says, that we exhort one another to love and to good works. How often has that happened in our homes? How often have we invited someone out for a coffee or gone for a walk or done some activity together where the express purpose is not necessarily to focus to have an eye-to-eye conversation and have an intense conversation like that, but through the course of the activity that these things come out. These questions, these things that then we're ready to give an answer, as the scripture says, to everyone that asks of the hope that is within us. Those of you that are parents know the most effective way to speak to your children is to do it in the context of another activity. See, if they're coming home from school or they're coming home from their job or whatever, if you sit down at the kitchen table and you look across and say, share me all the problems that you went through today. What are the things that you're struggling with? You know you're going to get a one-word answer. Nothing. Everything's fine. Because that's not the way relationships really work. The best way to do it is to do an activity together. Go for a walk. Go for a bike ride. Do other activities. Cook together. Whatever it is. And through the course of that, the relationship established. And now there's, it doesn't feel as threatening anymore. And they can start sharing and asking. These things come out. And then we have the opportunity to share the grace and truth that is in the scripture. That has worked not only in our lives. Most importantly, that has worked to, that's God's work that brings that about. 
And so this gospel message not only has the power to change me, to change you, has the power to change others. And God desires to use each one of us to be able to carry that out. And so I'd like to leave those two verses as a point of reflection. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith.